it's such a shame because games are so embodied and they're so behavioral. And yet so much of our storytelling is still done by these 3D talking movies. <laughs> I could call them talking movie games. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Simulator, a series of short conversations about video games with interesting people who play them. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and in this episode, I discuss the future of narrative design with my guest, Lee Alexander. I'm Lee Alexander. I am a writer and a narrative designer, working mostly in video games. Lee has worked on award-winning games like Neocab, described as an emotional survival game about gig labor, tech disruption, and the experience of being a driver for hire, and Reigns Her Majesty, a strategy game that uses a Tinder-style swiping mechanic to tell, as Lee describes it, a feminist dark comedy. I first met Lee back when she was writing about games. In her years as a critic and then as a creator of games, she has thought long and hard about the future of narrative design. And in this conversation, we discuss some of the ideas that she is exploring in her upcoming work. Since Lee basically lives on the beach, you may also hear seagulls. I think a good way to start is to ask how you define narrative design compared to writing, because you talk a lot about the ways in which people misunderstand narrative design and, and underappreciate it as well. So how do you define it? And what are the kind of biggest misunderstandings that you see or the ones that annoy you the most? Well, first of all, I want to make sure up front, I don't set myself as a custodial authority on the terminology of narrative design. You know, the way I work could be vastly different than the way a person in another part of the industry works. And when we talk about the industry, that's such a huge umbrella, you know, like, uh, it's so broad now that, you know, my definition of this work might never touch someone else's. And one thing I am working on is I think I can sound a bit prescriptive when I'm just really passionate about things. So I just want to caveat like anything I have to say about storytelling is coming from a place of what I'm passionate about and what I want to be working on and not necessarily like what the industry is doing wrong or what I think other people should do. You know, regardless of whether I have opinions to that effect, I want to kind of focus on sharing practices with people, I guess, because I'm, I'm so passionate about narrative design now. And I guess in answer to your question, I think the difference between that and writing is that it's this concept of storytelling as a sequence of moments that you can design. And sometimes that does not involve any writing at all. And, and, and I think conversations on narrative design, we often distill them down to, you know, storytelling in games and games telling stories. But in my view, I think narrative design can be important to genres, even that we don't think of as story games. It's, you know, it can be those, the moments of assembling a self-concept on the way to a goal or, you know, orientation with yourself and others that progresses in a way that has, for example, you know, a narrative structure. That's something that we can provide for players, even if we are not doing writing or telling them a story. And I think like I've gotten to be less interested in like, what can I say in games and more interested in how can I learn more about how to kind of enhance that moment to moment with a player whatever medium I'm working in and whether that is a commercial video game or, you know, other things that I'm trying to think about that are more general entertainment oriented and progressive, I guess. I'm interested in how you perceive the kind of work that you do in relation to the games industry, quote unquote, then that you seem to, to want to kind of distance yourself from in a way. What 
is the scope for that kind of work in the world that we currently live in? Is it the case that it's like, oh, you know, games are so huge now that, you know, there are so many different ways to work in games. You don't have to work in the quote unquote industry. You can just go and make art. Or (laughs) are you finding other ways of getting paid that just don't fit within the traditional mold? Well, yeah, a little bit of all of the above. I think like more broadly, when most players of video games are talking about story or narrative games, we're more familiar with, you know, larger commercial titles where there's a big team and, you know, a lot of different departments going in. And I think, you know, what we would call like AAA narrative production to me, I think is is sort of constrained. I don't think it integrates narratives very well. Its primary concern is giving a context to the action, which, you know, which is shooting. Um, <laughs> so for, for me, usually when I look at narrative design, and I'm not unique in this regard. I think a lot of people are now approaching it as the story is a context for the player behavior. And there's a lot of ways to understand the player behavior and to give it a context that makes that behavior interesting. And, you know, so I mostly work in mobile games. This could be something as simple as just integrating a little bit more character driven, you know, interactions or understanding of player desire into simple casual genres already that are on the app store. You know, we don't really have to reinvent the wheel in order to sort of improve things with narrative design. And the general problem or the challenge for me when looking at the vast majority of what we think of as narrative design work in the games industry is I feel it's not well understood and it's not well integrated into the pipeline. You know, people think of story as something extraneous or like it's a script that you write or... You know, I think it's such a shame because games are so embodied and they're so behavioral. And yet so much of our storytelling is still done by these 3D talking movies. (laughs) I call them talking movie games. (laughs) You know, and why are we needing to sort of resort to these sort of cinematic renders when we can communicate with the player so much more intimately through this sort of series of mechanics through which we're having a conversation with them? So when I say like, oh, I don't have to work in the industry, I mean, I'm looking for any place that I can work outside of the sort of conventional let's write a talking movie between the action scenes um, narrative milieu. I think everyone's really interested in experimenting with how to integrate story better and practices are differing all over the place. And I'm really curious about that. So it's tough for me to find projects that are good fit. I certainly don't say that I don't work in the game industry, but I think um, I'm able to do more interesting work and I'm able to do more narrative design experimentation and be compensated for it away from, I think, what we would call traditional video game storytelling. And so I've started to get really interested in narrative design as like crafting these moments, moment to moment interactions with the players. What story is the player telling about their own experience of this thing? Or what is the collective storytelling that's taking place in the fandom around a project? Like narratives are emerging on social media that are designed. You know what I mean? So I think there's a wide and a flexible way of thinking about this that I don't want to necessarily, you know, be bound by needing to win like a Spike TV award, you know, to, not, you know, no disrespect. Like I, I, there are conventions of the AAA industry that are not interesting to me. I want to find chances to do new things. I'm also curious about how, how you feel about the fact that your work is so fundamentally part of this kind of platform that has so many issues, like <laughs> mobile the mobile phone, right? The smartphone, right. the cell phone, whatever we want to call it, as a platform, has been so problematic. Yeah. How do you feel about the fact that that is where all your work is found? And also, how do you feel about how people feel about mobile games when you say to someone, I make mobile games, and they assume Candy Crush? How does that make you feel as well? Well, I don't think really, really only like a capital G gamer is going to say that to me. I think most people understand that, like, in terms of like ability to reach a casual and a modern audience, like, 
I have a much greater chance of reaching like women, young adults and, you know, future audiences by, you know, by using mobile and by understanding, you know, TikTok and YouTube and streaming and how they're performing and where they're interacting. I just, you know, I'm not going to reach my audience on a console. And speaking of TikTok, this is something we were talking about before we kind of started the interview. But a thing that concerns me working in digital culture and games and things is aging out, right? And people yeah. can say TikTok is for children, if not teenagers. How do you feel about being someone who works with platforms that skew so young? And do you worry about the future of that kind of work? So you asked an interesting question, like, how do I feel about working in, in a medium that has a lot of problems? And it's like, if you're an artist of any kind, just say you're working in clay or oil paints, there's going to be downsides, you know, like perhaps you can express yourself very well through this platform, but it's messy. And that's kind of how I feel. It's not that I'm, I particularly fancy any of these spaces to work. It's that I'm there because they give me the opportunity to tell stories about the future and in order to do that I think I need to connect to young audiences and I don't really need to worry about feeling stupid in my curiosity and things like that like I'm not chopping it up trying to do TikTok dances myself <laughs> but I think it's absolutely crucial to understand future audiences because their digital culture is changing so much more quickly than some of us content creators can understand it yeah of course I worry about being left behind but like at least I'm trying mm. you know I want to tell stories for this generation I want to know what they care about I want to see how they move as a fan base you know, I think they're splendidly creative. I think they're responding to really unique times. And, and to me, that's like a, a really a, a neat climate to do work in. Like, it completely baffles me. Um, and like, you know, like, yeah, a lot of my, my work that I would say, oh, is like mobile design is like I'll work with creative marketing firms designing like, you know, special experiences for major brands and stuff and kind of help them with how to introduce a player narratively to those experiences where they don't have game expertise and stuff like that. And um, it always sort of surprises me how the people that, you know, are of a certain age and have the expertise working in this industry are not thinking about youth culture at all. They're still making the types of things that they would like. They still expect the audience to have the same design vocabulary they do. And I'm just like, your user right now is growing up with a mobile device in their hand. Like they're already content creating with their friends. They're already online playing group things. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, um, you have to try to figure out a way to maybe entertain and work with the tendencies of this massive audience that's already here, I think. You mentioned there at least you're trying, right, to understand younger users and trying to engage with them. Yeah. What are the risks of not trying? Well, I think like if, for example, if you look at like the interactive fiction market on mobile, most of these things are absolute junk. <laughs> and yet like the audience is lapping them up because young people want soap operas. Young people want, you know, personal narratives at quality. They are crying out for these experiences that we have the ability to build equality if only we kind of pay attention to the audience that exists rather than, you know, I don't know, a lot of mobile companies are relying on this, you know, not not that content should can't be revenue driven and of quality at the same time, but, you know, their priorities are of a previous casual games industry. And then even in the commercial games industry, they don't have a pipeline that really democratizes narrative design. Um, we still have writing and narrative design, I think, siloed away from each other too much. I think that, like, storytelling in games should be a writing role as well as a design role. And I think most people don't, I'm going to leave it there, but <laughs> there's a lot of frustrations in understanding the expertise involved. And like I said, when I say that I'm not putting myself up, like I have understood it either. It's just, it's a challenge that I think a lot of people in my line of work are facing, trying to find the opportunities to really express themselves well through design and to craft the kind of experiences that we see the potential for the player to have. Oh, and in answer to your question, like when we don't pay attention to, you know, how young people are interacting, you know, 
we need to pay attention to how, you know, they respond to content, how attention spans are, you know, what, what are the aesthetics and the styles that they're into? Like what to them is cool, you know, how are they used to interacting with devices? Because again, if we, we're going into a design space with assumptions that are suitable for our generation, you know, we're not going to be able to actually kind of have the goals of broadening the accessibility for our projects to people, you know? I was just talking earlier today actually with a friend who is a writer who works in games and she was expressing similar, I think, kind of frustrations about people underappreciating the value of somebody who actually knows design and knows writing and knows storytelling. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a big problem in video games. And we had our theories as to why that is. Why do you think it is? I think for a long time, story has been thought of as sort of peripheral in games. I think... I have this in common with a lot of my friends who are composers as well, and that people think you can just kind of slap a great song over a level to create the vibe, and they don't understand how much of the design of the music is creating the feel of the experience from moment to moment, what it's like to jump, you know, your sensory impression of the space here. And that is a collaboration between the composer and the game designer that, you know, they, my composer friends say they don't get enough, you know, opportunities to see happen. And and narrative design is similar. And I think a lot of game designers, especially you know, creative guys who've been in the industry for a long time and have a lot of success, they think that they're great storytellers. And they also think that they are great writers because, you know, they have a lot of creative influences and they can write words down. And, um, you know, it's not just being a good writer, it's understanding how those how those letters are going to deliver inside the text box, you know? Mm-hmm. So th- the number of people who've asked me, like, well, can you write this game? And I'm like, well, can you show me the, the framework for this writing? And they say, no. I'm like, well, then how do you, you want me to do, you want me to create an experience completely isolated from feeling and knowing the function of the experience. It's just not practical and it's not adequately budgeted for Like there are games and narrative genres that would succeed or fail on their writing that will contact the writer, you know, on a shoestring budget three months before ship. And, you know, no, just no one is paying attention. They don't prioritize or understand the labor correctly. Even with great teams that I get a lot out of working with, I have to sort of set my expectations in terms of like, I'm never going to be able to express myself in the design as much as I could if I were treated as a designer also. Mm-hmm. One of the things like as a journalist, like, you know, how important, how frustrating it is in games that there is such a lack of literacy still. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, in your journalism work, that precision that you've tried to get in talking about things because it's so important. And and I think that's kind of helped me in game design, honestly, like having to repeat things over and over until they're understood or experimenting with the best way to get the team excited about a concept. That all comes from game journalism and trying to manage a really unruly audience. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, again, I'm sure you you are familiar with. So let's talk about what you want to see then from the future of narrative design in a kind of ideal world. If things turned out exactly the way you wanted and you were able to do exactly the work you wanted, what would it look like? What would we lose and what would we embrace? <laughs> well, I hope we, I hope we don't lose anything. Like, obviously, people must like these talking movies because they keep getting made. And so I don't I, I need to stop <laughs> sitting here and saying that this is wrong and it's not the future and it should be lost because clearly there's an error in my taste or something. But me personally, like... I'm spending all day now in my device, like following scandals of characters and the discourse. And then I go on Instagram to check the rumors about this person. And it sort of always feels like I'm kind of participating in these character driven reality 
TV stories. If you've been on Twitter a lot lately, you even notice like everyone's like, oh, every day now there's a main character. And it's like, <laughs> like what, what, what are the narrative pivots that we're going to hit on Twitter today? Like a fake apology. Someone's going to turn out to be racist. Who's like scandalous sexts are going to surface. It reminds me of like the early 2000s when like um, surveillance reality television was really new to people. Mm. Um, it's that same kind of entertainment climate where you can kind of start breaking the boundaries of, you know, the shape of what you thought this was. And because part Participation is so much a part of how people consume everything now, not just games. And I think the pandemic is going to enhance that as well. We're having our watch parties and you now used to watching everything with a device in your hand and you're participating in a fan experience. And, you know, there's role play taking place and, you know, fans expect to kind of have a voice in their ongoing sagas. And they're produced in a way where it would be advantageous for Hollywood to sustain these ongoing relationships with people around content. And games know how to do that. Mm. We've been developing these kind of always on, you know, persistent online, you know, subscription models, quote unquote, storytelling for a long time. So I think if we can kind of, I wouldn't be the first person every 10 years, someone comes along and talks about transmedia and how everything's going to merge and blah, blah, blah. But I do think... There's new opportunities with the platform situation as it is and the everything being made bite-sized episodic content. I think there's a way, ways of doing things that are going to be a lot more designed and a lot more interesting in the future and participatory and maybe don't necessarily define themselves as games or not games. Like um, <laughs> mm. I was watching... Um, it was so wild. So, you know, Among Us. So you have like Instagram influencers on YouTube have a game of Among Us in real life mm -hmm. where they set up folk games in their like YouTuber mansions. And it's like the the beauty YouTuber James Charles and like Lil Nas X, like all dressed in their like Among Us clothes, you know, <laughs> playing folk games and giving gaming rules explanations. And to me, it was such a dissolution of boundaries between the world of like musical influencers, beauty influencers, online games, uh, board games, and edited in a way to have character stories about these streamers that people are watching. And I'm like, oh, that's the future. Okay. Yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I wonder how you think or whether you think we can harness that and make sure that it moves in a positive direction. Ooh. Because one thing that I know that you're interested in is conspiracy theories. Yes. Well, I'm passionate. I want to clarify. I'm really curious about the rise of conspiracy theories in the social fabric and what it says about our, you know, our sense of reality and our relationship to media right now. Mm -hmm. My enthusiastic enjoyment of conspiracy theories has been dampened somewhat of late. So I want to put a lot of caveats in, in expressing. Sometimes they're not fun, kids. Sometimes they go wrong. Right. And that's exactly why I want to ask. You know, it's so similar, right? You talk about how social media feels game-like. Mm -hmm. There are main characters and you're following all these threads. And that's exactly what people who ascribe to conspiracy theories do. Yeah. You know, they use social media in the same way. Mm -hmm. And it kind of feels like the boom in conspiracy theories lately is a direct result of that. Yes. So how do you make sure you take exactly the same mechanics, as it were, and make sure that they're harnessed in a more positive direction? How do we positively radicalize people? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question, honestly. <laughs> you know, I think... Largely, we're facing a lot of questions about how do we self-identify on the internet? What do we orient towards? How do we find our people? And I think there are ways to meaningfully answer those needs through design. Like what about positively designing community for people? And what about, I, I say positive loosely because I don't think anyone wants like feel good smarm mm. at the expense of authenticity, but you know, constructive in terms of people will get something meaningful out of it, not positive, but constructive. Mm. And I think 
yeah, maybe now more than ever, when we can look at the downsides of how conspiracy shapes up. You know, I said in an article a long time ago, like, if you don't curate, then the same garbage always fills in the vacuum if you don't curate your culture. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think we have the opportunity to step in and maybe constructively harness some of this energy, maybe. Again, it's a thing that we as game designers, you know, should be good at and that we should be ready to do. Maybe we can look at the lessons from some of those movements and say, you know, is belonging something we can design? Mm. And is giving people that sense of rewarding participation something that we can create? You've asked a couple of times, like, how can you make sure that this platform will not be used for evil? And it's like, well, you can't. You know, it's the fact is that I think that any thing in technology is going to have both strong constructive aspects and strong destructive aspects. And I think for me as a designer, I'm just trying to work to mitigate the latter and enhance the former. And I hope I put those in the right order. (laughs) It feels to me like, you know, in the face of all the truly terrible things that are going on in the world, I think we understand our need to use, you know, technology for escape and communication more than ever. I think game designers have sort of a gift and an opportunity in being able to offer people this particular experience. I think we're gifted in having a, a new generation that has an innate digital vocabulary from birth and that, It's good to leverage that, and I hope for more chances to share knowledge with people feeling similarly. What kind of work that you've done already that people can see (laughs) reflects this kind of desire from you? Oh, well, so it's so funny. I I made a tweet the other day, like, I used to work as a games journalist, as you know, and... um, I used to always see people like making all these blogs and design talks and and tweets and things about story and games. And then I'd always click on their profile and it would be like, I'd never heard of anything they'd done or like, and I'd be like, why are they talking so much? They should be working. You know, I've become one of these people. (laughs) Now I'm just that person. Like karma comes back to you. You should be careful what you speak into being. Now I'm a useless designer who just talks all day. Uh, That that is not true. Unfortunately, like there's like a two year tail on when I can start like showing and talking Mm -hmm. about things to people. I'm really excited excited about, you know, expressing some of these ideas through fiction as well as game design. I think like if you go to my website, lealexander.net, I think I have a lot of short stories about like the self and digital space that I'm sort of pleased with and I wanted to kind of develop more of. I think that, yeah, there will be some stuff soon, but kind of right now I'm, I'm in a little cocoon trying to trying to find the best way that I can sort of prove and express these to people. I have some cool projects right now. I'm, I'm working on a cool indie game and I am working on some interactive fiction prototypes and yeah, I have some fun stuff going on, but unfortunately nothing that would immediately qualify any of the rambling I just did to your audience. (laughs) But like I said, I think like it's great that we're sort of reconsidering formal expertise as well. Mm -hmm. I think like a lot of people that I really respect as narrative designers are not people that, you know, you would have heard of giving big design talks at GDC, but are people working on, for example, like the idle and incremental game scene, like, you know, stuff like Blazeball, which I think is super cool in terms of ways we can see very low threshold, accessible, participatory, fan-driven storytelling start to kind of shape up around something that's simple and procedural. I really want to make more procedural stuff like that myself. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully I have something to show for myself at some point. (laughs) With the games that you have worked on that people can play, Neocab, Reigns, things like that, what in those are you proud of? Do you bring forward to your other work? 
reflects this kind of uh, desire, even if in a smaller way. Oh, I really am proud of Reigns Her Majesty. I've had just an unbelievable response to it. And I am just so appreciative of that. It was just like being thrown off the deep end and learning how to do procedural systems, mm -hmm. how to make stories that were this collection of moments determined by a somewhat random system uh, with secret mathematical weights inside. And so I'm really interested in making games that way. And also like, you know, the way that, you know, Reigns was able to sort of take its interface that was sort of Tinder infused and um, leverage that into kind of feminist dark comedy is really important to me still to make sure that input and theme and, you know, the writing are all stylistically kind of harmonized. You don't get to do a lot of projects like Reigns Her Majesty. I don't, you know, I've been privileged with everyone I've gotten to work with, honestly, whether I can talk about it or not. But in particular, the chance to work with Francois and the Nereal team and learn tools like that really special opportunity. So like I still would just say play Reigns Her Majesty if you want to see something that I am proud of. Got some awards too. Hey. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. We've been talking a lot about the future and I know that an interest of yours is also looking back because <laughs> you are really, really interested in what you call vintage text adventures. Yeah. With your lo-fi let's plays that you did on YouTube. So how does your interest in the games of the past influence how you look ahead to the future? Well, everything is cyclical, isn't it? Like, honestly, like when you strip something back to its essential components, sometimes that helps you understand how to evolve it. I don't know. And, and I'm really interested in nostalgia and I'm really interested in different eras, technology and aesthetics. Yeah, I just am because <laughs> I don't know. I can't really explain it. Like I... I really love visual and temporal and cultural context for things. I think they make storytelling strong. I think, especially in times when we can't see the future, we have to borrow from aesthetics from other times, other times that we imagine the future. So I'm like really into Y2K right now and like 60s conversations, pits. A lot of people are into that. It's not just me. Mm. Um, I think if you look at the weirdest stuff on YouTube, I think there's a lot of like nostalgia for imagined spaces and nostalgia for imagined eras. So for me, that is part of creating for the future because we're going into an era where I think we will have less tangibility for a little while or maybe less in person for a little while. I think it might catalyze a social shift in, you know, how can we use technology to reclaim some things we may have lost with progress for a little while? And I think this isn't an original idea of mine. People are always forecasting, putting the texture back into audio formats that have advanced and things like that. So... You know, I, I can kind of see that coming as well, the, you know, kind of understanding what, what's the texture that is missing is going to be a big part of how to infuse my work with texture in a world when I can't see the future is something that I study the past a lot for. To keep up with Lee's work, you can find her on Twitter at L-E-I-G-H Alexander. I'm at Jerrica Weber, and the podcast is at Talking Sim Pod. Naturally, you can review Talking Simulator in Apple Podcasts and subscribe in your podcast app of choice to hear more interesting people talk about the craft of game design. Our music is by Jazz Mickle. You can find her at Jazz Mickle. Talking Simulator is edited by Lemmington's loveliest audio person, Dan Parks. If you need to make something sound good, you can find him at Dan C. Parks. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Talk again soon.
I've not spoken to anybody this much uh, about work in a long time. <laughs> oh.